All right, good morning. morning. If you got a Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us and ask God to just bless our time together this morning. Pray with me really quick. Father, I am so thankful for the opportunity um, to sit um, in your house this morning, to worship you, to, to preach your word. Father, I pray what I've prayed the last uh, two services, Father, that you would be lifted high and that I would be laid low. I pray, Father, that we would love you more when we leave here than we walked in. God, I pray that we would understand your word and that your word would change the way we live. And thank, dear God, I thank you for how your word has challenged me, um, not only this week, but in the past couple of months leading up to this week. And God, I pray very specifically right now that your word would go forward, dear God. As we talk about design for the family, Lord, I lay uh, my family on the altar, dear God. I pray that I would be the kind of man, the kind of husband that you call me to be. I pray for Jenna, that she um, would walk in your design. As we're going to talk about, I pray, dear God, for Danny, that she would accomplish your purpose, dear God. And Lord, before we go any further, God, I just take... Um, my family, dear God, and say, um, even as we're going to talk about it a little bit, dear God, let this be true of us today, and I pray that you would let it be true of the other families in the room. God, I pray that um, if there are individuals who need this to be true of their own personal lives, that that would be the case as well for the glory of your name, for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, as, as, as you keep turning to Matthew 22, if you're not there yet, I'm going to start a day off by asking a question, all right? And I want you to, to ponder this for a second, to give this question some thought, not just rush past it, okay? The question is this, are people in your life closer to God because they know you? Let me say that again. Are people in your life closer to God because they know you? Another way I could say this is, does your life serve as an opportunity for other people to know God? So as you go through life, as you interact with people, um, as you build relationships, as you uh, go through your career, as your family um, advances in the world, does your life, does your family serve as an opportunity for other people to know God? That's really going to be the question that each one of us are going to have to answer by the end of today's service. And so the past couple of weeks, what we've done is we've laid a foundation for God's design for our lives and for our families. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to move past that and we're going to uh, see how God's design for our lives and for our families leads us to being uh, tools in the hands of God to begin to accomplish God's mission. In other words, our lives begin to be things that in God's hands uh, becomes uh, uh, opportunity and invitation for other people to know Jesus. As a matter of fact, over the past couple of weeks, I've said it this way, God intends for the family unit to revolve around knowing and loving Him and be an invitation for others to do the same. Now, uh, I, I think that's going to be on the screen for us. I want to throw this up there. This is the, the way I've designed God's design for our family. God intends for the family unit to revolve around knowing and loving Him. Now, stop right there for a second. I am 100% convinced that most of us in this room, if we stopped right there, we would be good with God's design for our family, right? 
And, and the reason I know that is because we're good church folk, right? You come to church, you read your Bible, you pray, like you're on, you're on with the whole God should be the center of your life kind of thing, right? You, you get that. And the problem is God's design for our lives and God's design for our families does not stop there. It moves past revolving around him and it goes to being an invitation for others to do the same. So the question we really need to ask is this, and this is um, uh, uh, just to give you a little transparency about this. How do our lives and our families serve as an invitation for others to know God? How does this actually happen? So we have to move past into the second point. How does this actually happen? And I'm going to be honest with you for a second. This is the question of the day. But if I can be honest, this is something I've wrestled with even before I knew that this is where this sermon series was going to go. I've been, I've been thinking about this one in particular question for probably three or four months now. Me and Jenna pray at night before we go to bed. Uh, we don't pray every night. I'm not that spiritual, right? I hadn't gotten to that level yet. But most nights uh, before we go to bed, we pray. And so one of the constant things, I, I'm going to see if she's even been paying attention when I pray here, but one of the constant things, she's laughing because it's usually late and she goes to sleep pretty quick. All right. I'm like, Jenna, are you up? All right. She's going to kill me. But one of the things that I've been praying for our family is that our family would be focused on accomplishing God's mission. That as a family unit, we would, God would use us to accomplish his mission, to love on people and, and to lead people toward Jesus. And now, so, and I've been praying this really, uh, I think this has been the center of my prayer, at least with, uh, with me and her for really a few months now that I've been praying this one thing. And it really comes down to answering this question. How does our life, how do our lives and our families serve as an invitation to, for other people to know God? And this is the question of the day. How do we move past just being people? Because here's the deal. I can teach Danny the Bible. Y'all tracking with me? Like, I can teach her how, Danny, you should know God and love God. But that's not where God's design stops. God's design is for us, for me, to use her, right? Get this. For me to use our family, for our family to serve as an invitation to the world around us to follow Jesus. And so I want to be honest with you. I've been asking this question, at least in, in my own heart, for months. And here's the bad news, all right? This might make for a bad sermon, but I don't really have an answer, okay? Most time, preacher gets up, poses a question, and then he, he answers it, and that's what makes a good sermon, okay? This may not be a good sermon, all right? Now, slowly but surely, I'm starting to put some stuff together. I'm starting to make some connections, but I'm still figuring this out. But I think the, there's a connection that Jesus makes for us that, that kind of answers this question for us, that kind of shows us what direction we should be going in for how we do this within our families. And listen, if you're here and you don't have a family, how we do this within our lives, okay? It's, it's applicable either way. So what I want us to do is you got your Bible, Matthew 22. I'm going to read verse 34, okay? Starting, starting in verse 34, notice what the Scripture says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, I love this scene. A bunch of Pharisees hear that Jesus is coming, that he has silenced the Sadducees. It says they, get, they got gathered together. In other words, they all got together. This is like an elementary playground scene, right? A bunch of kids going to like gang up on Jesus, right? The problem is Jesus is God. It doesn't really work well when you gang up on God, okay? Look at verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. Now, I, I lo- let me just clarify what's actually going on here context-wise. When the Bible says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, don't think of like Tom Cruise, I want the truth type lawyer, right? Anybody know that movie, Few Good Men? Great movie. If you don't know it, you should watch it. It changes your life, all right? But we're not talking about that kind of lawyer. I want the truth, you know, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholas arguing in a courtroom type of lawyer. When I say, when the Bible here mentions the term lawyer, it's talking about a, a, a priest, a scribe, who, re, who knew the first five books of the Old Testament so well that they had memorized them. So when I were talking about the law, we're talking about the Old Testament law of God to the people. So this is a person who knows God's law to the people, okay? And now he comes and he asks Jesus a really strange question. This is a question, which of these is the greatest commandments? This is a question that, according to human standards, at least has no real answer. We got any teachers in the room? Okay, couple. All right. My, Jenna's a teacher here, sixth grade science. I love the thought of this. What if like you made a multiple choice question and you put like four answers on there and none of them were the right answer? Wouldn't that be cruel? I think that would be hilarious though. Okay. Like maybe you should try that. All right. I think it would be horrible, but basically that's what the, the, the lawyer has done to, the, to Jesus. He's coming, he's posed Jesus a question that really has no answer. But the thing is, he's trying to cheat Jesus, and Jesus knows the answer. Look at verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Does that sound familiar? It should, because we've been talking about it the past three or four weeks. If it doesn't sound familiar, lie to me, okay? Like, say, yes, I've been listening to everything you said. He says, the first and great commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. So what's Jesus say? Jesus says, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? What sums up all those five books? Here it is, lawyer. The, what sums up all those five books is simply this. You need to love God with everything you are. In other words, what he says is, this is what the first five books of the Bible are teaching you, that you should love the Lord your God. Now, if we, we, that's what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. But what I want you to notice is that this is not where Jesus stops. Jesus like doesn't even really give a, a pause break here. He goes into what he calls the second great commandment. All right, look with me at verse 36. Verse 38, I'm sorry. This is the great and first commandment. And verse 39 and the second is like it. Going right into it here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, the, all the commandments depend, all the law and the prophets. A couple things I want us to see here. First thing I want us to see is that this is an overwhelming command. This is an overwhelming commandment. Jesus comes and he spells out God's design for our lives, right? He gives us these two, these two commandments. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what we should be seeing in that is this is Jesus spelling out for us God's design for human life. These are the commandments that if you follow, this is how life works, right? So, you love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a really strange command. We've talked about love the Lord your God, but love your neighbor as yourself. This is a little bit nonsensical. This commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is almost, it sounds like, if we were reading it and we didn't know any better, we would think it's hyperbole, right? We think it's exaggeration. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is almost an impossible command. What's Jesus doing here? This is, this is an absurd command. So what's Jesus trying to help us understand? Jesus is playing here on a universal reality. 
And here's what that universal reality is. Every human being who has ever been born is programmed to consider themselves, take care of themselves, and to seek the greatest good possible for themselves. In other words, what am I saying to you? Don't nobody love you like you love you. All right? And if you're not just like, if you're not playing this morning, you know, that's true. You should say amen, right? Nobody loves you like you love you. Right? You get married, you stand at the altar and say, I'm going to love you more than anything. Can I tell you that's a lie? You know why? Because you do love something more than your spouse who you tell it to. You know what you love more? You. All right? It, it's, it is universal human nature. That nobody loves you like you love you. And this is what Jesus is playing on. And now here's the thing. This isn't always sin. We see this programmed into people even from, guess what? Birth, right? Can I just tell you that an infant, when they cry out at night, you know what they're not thinking? I wonder if mom and dad are tired, right? <laughs> they're, not, they're not like, hey, I'm, I'm worried about their sleep schedule. Let me just go on back here. I'm hungry, but I'll be okay for a few hours, right? No. What are they saying? I want to take care of me. That's why they're programmed that way. Right? We, me and Jenna saw a real life example of this when my sister came up uh, a few uh, weeks ago. She may be listening to this. Uh, a few weeks ago, she's got a one-year-old named Leela. And now Leela's the third child. Let me tell you about Leela. Leela's tough. Okay? Like Leela beat the fire out of these other two kids. Right? They, the kids walk in and she just pushes them down. They don't even do nothing to her. She's just establishing dominance. Okay? <laughs> that, uh, it, it's awesome. Right? And for some reason, my, my sister got to our house about 10 o'clock. And she hadn't fed their, their, uh, her kids uh, breakfast yet, right? Mother of the Year Award goes to my sister, okay? And so we were, it was okay. We were going to go eat uh, early lunch, so they would be fine. Well, all of a sudden, Leela comes around the corner with like a zone bar. Anybody ever eaten a zone bar? Yeah. All right, zone bar. Let me tell you what a zone bar is. A zone bar is two pieces of cardboard with a little nugget in between them and then some chocolate drizzled over the top, okay? And Leela doesn't even take the wrapper off this thing. You don't know what she does? She's eating the thing, wrapper and all, right? My, and what's she saying? Mama hadn't fed me. I'll feed my, I'll take care of myself. This isn't always sin. But what we see Jesus doing is turning this, in, this universal instinct to, to love yourself, to take care of yourself, and he's turning it on his head. He's saying the intentionality and care we treat ourselves with, we're supposed to take that and give it to other people. Now, if we're honest, this is an overwhelming commandment. This seems impossible. How, how do you do that? This is far past do no harm, right? Anybody in the medical profession, you took an oath, right? What did you say? I'm not going to do harm to patients, right? That is, that is the oath you do, that you take, right? This is past that. As a matter of, this is past, this is far past tolerating, right? If Jesus had, if Jesus had said in this text, I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? If Jesus had said, you shall tolerate your neighbor, I'd be okay with this, all right? Like, because if we're honest... Y'all don't judge here. This is what we're good at, right? If you're honest with yourself, this is what you're good at is tolerating people. You are, you are not programmed to love other people as yourself, right? And here's what happens. You go through life and you begin to see people, and I love you, you do this, okay? I do this. You begin to see people as obstacles to the things you really want in life, right? And so what you become is programmed not to love them as you love yourself, but to tolerate them. You look at people and say, I know I have to do X, Y, or Z. I know you need me to do this. I know this person needs me to do that. And so all of a sudden, you begin to tolerate people because you think you have to, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying we're called to do. Jesus is calling us past toleration. Jesus is calling us to love other people as we love ourselves. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, 12 says it this way. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
Right? The golden rule. What you want for yourself, do to others. And now that sounds so elementary, but we've yet to live it out. I love the way John Piper sums up this command. This is what he says. He says this is what this commandment means. As you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek the comfort and security from your neighbor. As you work to make good grades, work to help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. I'm going to be honest with you. I read this paragraph summing up what that command means, and it messed me up a little bit, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not that I don't love you all enough to want this stuff for you. It's that I don't love you enough to think this much about you. Right? When have you ever thought so much about another person that the clothes you desired for yourself to wear, you thought, I wish that person had the same thing? Right? You want to know why you don't think that way? Because you think about yourself. This command is a big command, and if we're honest, it should be a threatening one. This command is threatening because if we are going to love someone as ourselves, listen to me, that means we will have to love someone besides ourselves. We're programmed to love ourselves, and if we're going to love someone beside, uh, other than ourselves, we're going to have to love someone besides ourselves. Let, let me kind of illustrate it this way. The only, as I thought about how do we love other people as ourselves, the only relationship that to me seemed remotely applicable is the relationship between a parent and a child. Now listen, I know uh, this is not the full case because some people don't have children, but uh, to me it just made a lot of sense, okay? Because here's the deal. When you get married, you enter into a relationship where there, there, if there's going to be a successful marriage, right, there has to be a certain amount of self-denial to make the marriage work, right? You don't always get your way, okay? But that, that's just, that, that's introduced at marriage. Any parents in the room, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. When a child is born, there's introduced into the situation another level of self-denial, which you didn't think was possible. Right. So on the day that Danny was born, I realized two things really quickly. All right. The first thing I realized as I held this baby and you saw pictures of her last week as I held this baby in my hands. The first thing I realized is that I would be able to kill someone if I needed to. Right. I held her in in my hands and and, and I realized that 17 years from now, some boy is going to die. Right. (laughs) And I like it, may, it, but I'm resolved. We got a few more years of me being your pastor before I go to prison, okay? <laughs> the second thing I realized, and this maybe was more gradual, but the second thing I realized, and I realized this in a way I hadn't before, is that I would be willing to go without things so that she could have things. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? This is strange because I'm going to tell you, and my wife will tell you, I don't go without much, right? I'm just honest with you. I, I'm a pretty selfish person, right? But as this little human being has started to grow, I all of a sudden am willing to do without things that, that previously I would have had so that she can have the things she wants. Isn't that strange? That's what Jesus is saying that we're supposed to do with other people. That this level of intentionality of forsaking ourselves so that someone else can have is the level we're supposed to love other people. So the question is, how, does, how can we possibly do this? 
And not, listen, you're not always going to feel that way because nobody else is your child. But how can we possibly begin to love other people this way? And this is where this text becomes really important because we're going to see a couple connections that Jesus makes for us, okay? The first connection that I want us to see is that loving God leads to loving others. Now, Check this out. This took a seminary education for me to see this, okay? But don't, don't knock yourself if you didn't see this because only trained biblical eyes can see this, okay? I'm being completely sarcastic, all right? But I want you to notice something from this text. That loving others comes after loving God. I told you, you probably didn't see it, all right? But what, what does Jesus say is the first and greatest commandment? Love God. What does Jesus say is the second commandment? Loving others. I want you to see something here that God's design moves from loving God into loving others. So what Jesus seems to be implying is that something happens between the first part of God's design and the second part of God's design. Does that make sense? That something happens when someone loves God with all their heart, soul, and mind that enables them, that frees them up to accomplish the second part of God's design, loving others as yourself. So the question is, what happens? And I think we know from the testimony of Scripture that what happens for those who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is that they become satisfied in who God is. They find their greatest good in who God is. Now, this is big. We don't need to miss this. People who love God with all their heart don't need to seek their own good in life because in Jesus Christ, they have already found all the good they need. All right. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if you love the Lord God with all your heart, what you're going to find is all the good you could possibly need that will free you up to not be seeking your own good, but then to be seeking the good of others. We see this testimony from Scripture, right? This is why when Jesus says things like in Matthew chapter 16 and in Luke chapter 9, where he says, if anyone would lose his life for my sake, he will what? Find it, right? That is a completely oxymoronic statement. But what Jesus is saying to us is, is that if you give your life up for my sake and you, and you say, I will deny myself and give myself to Jesus, then and only then will you find what you've been looking for in life. So in, in following Jesus, you find good. This is what enables people like David in Psalm 63. Listen to this. David in Psalm 63 says this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That is a bold statement. Right? What's he saying? I have found your love, and here's what he knows. It is better than anything else the world has ever offered me. In other words, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what happens is you find something that was better than you could have possibly imagined. This is, it, it keeps going all throughout Scripture. Psalm 1611, this is borderline ludicrous. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And what? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, when we love the Lord our God, then and only then do we find the joy and the satisfaction and the greatest good that we've been looking for. Augustine said it this way, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So what happens between this first part of God's design and the second part of God's design? When Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, what happens is that we become so content in who God is for us. We become so sure that we've got everything that we need that we are free to no longer be concerned with ourselves. For the first time, we're free to love others because we know I'm taken care of. 
So I want you to see this progression. God's design starts with our love for Him and then moves to our love for others. This is what makes us be able to love our spouse as ourselves. This is what makes us be able to love our co-workers as ourselves. This is what makes us be able to love the stranger in the street as we love ourselves because we know Jesus has already taken care of us. And so the question becomes, is God's design playing out in your life? Because if not, what that should tell us, just based on what Jesus is spelling out here, listen to me, is that if you are not free to love others as you love yourself, right? And now this, this, this may ebb and flow a little bit, but if you find in yourself you're unwilling to love others as you love yourself, what that should tell us is that you're not finding your satisfaction in Jesus. So I've got to fight for it myself, and I can't love other people if I'm fighting for myself. Is God's design playing out in your life? Then we need to see this. There's one more connection we need to see. So we see this connection of how loving God leads to loving people. Now we need to see that loving God leads to living on mission. Now, this is really important because theoretically, all right, I could get up here today and talk to you about how you need to love other people, and you could leave this place and love others and never advance the mission of Jesus, okay? You, could, you understand what I'm saying? You could, you could care for people's physical needs. You could care for people's worldly needs. You could give people, as Jesus said, that cold cup of water, but never actually share with them the greatest good. Because we know that Jesus doesn't just teach the great commandment, right? This is what's called the great commandments. Jesus also teaches what we call the great commission. Now, if you're in church, folk, you know what the, you know what the great commission is, right? Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. So Jesus, according to Jesus, loving someone as you love yourself, seeking someone else's greatest good means sharing with them your source of greatest good. You can't love other people until you're willing to share Jesus with other people. Because otherwise, you're not sharing with them your source of greatest good, you're just giving them a little bit of good. This would be the equivalent of a parent, a parent sitting down to the table at night with a ribeye in front of them, all the while their child's eating a bologna sandwich, right? You, your good's taking care of it, but you're not sharing that greatest good with the people who matter most. As Christians who believe that Jesus Christ satisfies our every longing in this life and in the next one, we do not love others as we love ourselves until we share with them the good news of Jesus. This is not just take care of people, love them the best you can, treat people well. This is that we are seeking every opportunity to point people toward Jesus. God's design for our lives begins with devotion to Him and then extends to sharing that devotion with the world around us. This is where I said that I told you the whole point is that we are to be an invitation for others to do the same. And so here's what that means. And this is, this is a heavy statement, but I want us to sit in it for a second. Our lives... Our marriages and our families have a purpose, and that purpose is to point other people to Jesus Christ. Now sit in that for just a second, because I've had to force myself to sit in it. So what that means is Dallas, and then Dallas and Jenna being together, and then Dallas and Jenna and Danny as a family have a purpose, and that purpose is as a family to use our family, to use our marriage, to use our lives as an invitation for the people in our lives to know Jesus. 
And if I'm, if I'm just being honest with you, I, this is where I'm going to be completely transparent. I've wrestled with this for weeks. This is why when me and Jenna pray at night, I'm praying over and over again, just basically the same prayer. God, let our family be centered on you and your mission the most. Because I'm struggling with what this actually looks like because all too often I just settle for something less than this. Well, we'll love people the best we can. Well, we'll treat them good. We got a lot going on. Maybe we'll just manage. Right? This is convicting to me. Because here's the deal. I don't want to just talk about this. I want this to be a reality in my life. Because, and, and maybe the best way for me to say it to you is this way. And I thought about it this week. Preachers are the biggest hypocrites in the world. They are. All right? Chuck's not saying that to me. He's a preacher. All right? <laughs> preachers are the biggest hypocrites in the world. Do you want to know why? Because we know what we should be doing. And so here's the reality. As I, as I, Thursday morning, I, I was finishing this sermon up, and here's what God hit me with. And, I, and this, this, this is not fun, okay? But God hit me with this reality. I can get up here, and I can talk to you guys about how your family needs to be an invitation for other people to know Jesus. And I can get off this stage, and I can go about my life, and I can make sure me and my wife and my kids, we're all seeking comfort, and we're taking care of ourselves, and I can never actually do it for myself. But you'll think I am because by virtue of me being up here on the stage. And I'm just telling you, I do not want this to be something I talk about. I want this to be a reality. Jenna's leaving, she's so mad about it. <laughs> the question is, what does this actually look like? Because I told you, we started with, we started with a question today. How does our life, how does our family actually serve as an invitation? So if I don't want to talk about this, I want, to be a reality, I want this to be a reality, how do we actually do this? And I told you I don't have the answers, but I, for the first time in my life, I'm beginning to see a connection, okay? I'm beginning to see how we connect the dots. And the, really God brought this, it's funny how you kind of have to process what God's doing in your life, but God started bringing this uh, together for me about halfway through our soccer season. Uh, we had upstate uh, sports out here, soccer. So, and, and I'm telling you, I got roped into coaching a four-year-old team, okay? And now, I'm going to be honest with you for just a second. I was bitter about it. My wife can testify that my attitude, especially the first three or four weeks, was horrible. And now, listen, here's the deal. I know that everybody's busy all the time. I get that, okay? Y'all are all busy, and so this isn't me whining, but I'm just telling you, it, it was a busy season for me and Jenna. Right? It seemed like every night of the week, um, we were either, she was staying late at school, it was me uh, being at the church. I, you, know, you know what I'm saying? It was just, sometimes, can, I, can somebody amen this? You just want to go home and watch Netflix, okay? <laughs> Listen, COVID came at the right time for us. I watched all the Netflix, okay? There's nothing else left on there, okay? But, I, so I'm, I'm living in this space where I'm real bitter because here's what started to happen. I got roped into coaching this four-year-old soccer team, okay? There's two jokes in that. Number one, soccer, okay? That's the first joke. And you might be here this morning, you're like, I love soccer. I love you, okay? The, se <laughs> the second joke in that is four-year-old soccer, all right? You ever seen a four-year-old play soccer? Yeah, I hadn't either, and I coached him, okay? <laughs> and so I'm going to be honest. I started going through this season, and, I, and you know what I was doing? I was tolerating it. I had, wrestled, I had settled in my spirit that what I had to do was get through this little season of life, right? I had to tolerate the four-year-olds who were on the team. 
I had to tolerate the, the, uh, the families who were with them. I had to tolerate the other coaches. And I'm going to be honest with you. It took about halfway through the season until, I started, until God started doing something in me. And there started to be a little shift where all of a sudden I didn't just notice uh, the people I had to tolerate. I started noticing little things like little guy here has only ever been brought to games by mom and grandma and dad has never once showed up. And so I started, instead of seeing people that I had to tolerate to get past, I started asking questions. I started seeing that I had an opportunity to love on somebody who, who, according to grandma, needs some kind of good influence, who they're looking for a church. And so I started seeing opportunities to, to maybe here's an opportunity to point to, toward somebody, to somebody toward Jesus. And then we kept going. We go through the season. And I'm going to be honest with you all. I hope that I'm, the person I'm talking about is not in here because this is probably going to offend them. But I, I, started to, I was tolerating the other coaches, right? There are some other coaches in here right now. Shout out. I was tolerating y'all, Okay. But there was this one coach, and y'all, listen, we're playing four-year-old soccer, okay? This one coach who was just, she was a very sweet person. She started griping me, okay? She was, she was getting on my nerves, and she'd come up to me, and she would say, she said, your kids, they're side tackling, all right? And I thought she was joking at first. I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. All right, didn't know, didn't know what she was saying, okay? So she comes up to me again and says, listen, your kids are side tackling. So I was like, lady, listen, first of all, let me just clear something up. I don't know the rules here, okay? So if they're side tackling, I'm not used to playing communist football. I'm used to playing American football, okay? And in American football, side tackling's a good thing, okay? So I, I'm like, side tackling. Number two, lady, just let me tell you, all right? They're four years old. You're lucky they're not front tackling, okay? And so I, like, I'm tolerating these people, right? And I, this is when Jenna and Danny had COVID. Jenna had brought Danny out to the field, and Danny was watching the soccer game from the car, right? Couldn't get out. And so I leave the field, and I go to the car, and Jenna says, you okay? I'm like, I'm going to be, right? Need a minute, right? And then all of a sudden, I start seeing this person, though, and, and I'm having conversations. Who is, who is this coach? And I find out she's a Jehovah's Witness who, outside of Jesus Christ, is lost and dead and dying and going to hell. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, this, God started doing this shift in me, right? It was God, not me, where I moved from tolerating the people that, I, that, that I, I've got too much going on. I'm ready to move back past this. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing opportunities for me just to have one conversation. Or maybe I can take an opportunity to love somebody and point them towards Jesus. And so, listen, when we start talking about how do, how do our families do this, I think so many times... At least what God's showing me practically is that we think this has got to be some elaborate like scheme, right? Where we've got to put a big face on and right when people, when we talk to people, we've got to act really proud and really Christian. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Let me tell you about Jesus, right? And it's none of that. But the application that I'm getting to, and th listen, this is just this. Loving people and being an invitation means that we love, loving others means loving consistently and taking opportunities to point them toward Jesus. It looks like toward the end of that soccer season, me going to mom and grandma, giving them my business card and saying, listen, 
thank you for what you're doing with this young boy. Thank you for loving him. If there's any way that our church can partner with you, if there's any way that you, we, could, we would love for you to come to church. I would love to, to, to love on uh, him some more and have him be a part of our kids program. It looks like me taking opportunities, right? To take this coach, right? Who, I, what I really wanted to do was say, listen, lady, you're, you're losing it, right? And say, listen, thank you for what you're doing with this community. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be a part of a ministry that tells people about Jesus. It looks like loving people consistently and then taking opportunities to point them to Jesus. And here's what I'm finding, that when I do that, and then I, I don't think about it, I just do it, that over time, as I do that, I look up and people are closer to Jesus because they have a relationship with our family. And it's not easy. It's not overnight. But this is what it looks like. And I'm just telling you guys, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want my family to be a hypocrite. I don't want to raise Danny in a place where she, where she sees dad talk about what it should look like and then never does it. I want this to be the reality. So I just want to offer you a quick invitation. The invitation is simply this. Would you resolve in your spirit that I'll be anything but a hypocrite and that I'm going to take opportunities to point people toward Jesus because Jesus is the greatest good I've ever found? Will you pray with me? God, I love you and I praise you. I pray that over the next few moments, dear God, you would overcome anywhere I overstep the Spirit, dear Father. And dear God, I have no illusions that I probably did that. I pray that you would just uh, overcome that by the power of your Holy Spirit and minister to your people now. God, I pray specifically that we would take opportunities in our lives to point people to, towards Jesus. But dear God, that will only come when we're satisfied in who you are. And God, I pray, God, I pray that you would satisfy us in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.